I mean, the the key is not to fight the system. Yeah. Not to try to to find workarounds. <laughs> I mean, don't find workarounds. Just uh, uh, understand the system and make it your best friend. Do you have any recommendations for like the best architecture to use for SwiftUI? After you you reach the the maximum technical level that you can reach, what's up next? I mean, you can either go into architecture. You need to, to go one la layer above, see, seeing the bigger picture, or you can just try to, to grow your team and create the most productive team. How do you feel about the, the singleton design pattern? What's up? Welcome to another episode of the iOS Dev Podcast. In this episode, we had Catalin Patrashko come on the show. Catalin is a lead iOS engineer with over a decade experience in the field. And as a fairly young engineer, I found this episode super helpful, and I hope you guys do as well. Enjoy. Was there a moment that you remember feeling like, okay, I'm a senior developer now? Uh, no, actually not. Because um, as I started, I started like practicing alone. I, when, when I switched from uh, Windows development to iOS uh, development, I was uh, self-taught. I uh, Actually, I, I never did like a, a specialized course or something like that. Just looking on some uh, tutorials and then trying everything out. And then a project started to, to pop up and I uh, started doing, uh, working with different startups. So I couldn't say for sure that was a moment when I, when I felt I was senior. I was just like, maybe the, the time uh, elapsed and that was all. But I was all the time trying to, to look for, uh, for solutions. And to, especially at the beginning when the, when the iPhone just appeared nobody knew what to do <laughs> you had some documentation and a lot of uh, trial and error and that was it so yeah yeah and at that time it was uh, objective c right yeah objective c i, I was fortunate enough to to have a background in uh, c and c plus plus so i i didn't consider it i mean at first the, the syntax looked uh, weird but I get accustomed to it uh, quite fast, and then I, I didn't see any more more problems. I know a lot of people were complaining at that moment, and even now they are complaining about the, the syntax of Objective C. But yeah. once you get the hang of it, you you start to enjoy it. And how did you initially get into tech and programming and all that? Uh, well, I think uh, it always ran in my family some kind of uh, of tech DNA. <laughs> Uh, because my, my father was a TV repair guy. And since I was a, a small uh, child, I was very curious about how electronics works. I was actually doing some um, electronic circuits. Like I was solding them and stuff like that, playing <laughs> playing around. And then I just wanted to to study in this, in this uh, field. So I went to, to high school and then university on mathematics and informatics. And that was my my beginning. Wait, so did you do any TV repair yourself, or no, it no, it was it was oh, too no. complex. Maybe like a radio at some stage. <laughs> Wait, what's involved in TV repair? Because well, I mean, the TVs if, were a lot different back then, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You had the uh, light bulbs, or I don't know how it is the exact term. You didn't have uh, integrated circuits like you have today. So you could pretty much uh, just like replace a small part of the of the motherboard, and then everything would work out. But then afterwards, 
when all those uh, integrated circuits appeared, you couldn't just replace that. You would replace the whole uh, motherboard, and then that Japo was not uh, was became deprecated uh, soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the advancement of technology it has the uh, cons and uh, benefits as well. Yeah. So so you you were just tinkering with circuits. And then you decided to do informatics, you said, right? Yeah, I was quite uh, quite keen towards mathematics. And then informatics seemed like the, the logical next step for me. Mm-hmm. Because I, I mm-hmm. got my first com- computer when I was uh, 14 years old. 14, yeah, 14 years old. I got my first computer. At first, I was just playing around all day long. Mortal Kombat, stuff like that. <laughs> But then I came interested into into programming. Like, okay, let's see how we can do some stuff. Uh, wh- what kind of stuff did you play around with with the programming? So at, at first I was doing like very little C, C++ uh, scripts. Like maybe uh, doing like a small calculator in the console with no uh, interface. Stuff like that, like scripts to, to read some files, do some parsing, something like that. Yeah. I I wasn't working with an actual uh, GUI yeah. and interface. Yeah. And what uh, what resources did you have to learn at that point? Yeah, I think back then uh, there were some, some books on the matter because the internet uh, was not that uh, evolved. Uh, I, I remember the dial-up uh, times where you had to <laughs> wait for 30 minutes until you can get connected to the internet. And then the, the speed was awful. Uh, yeah, so the internet was not that useful at <laughs> that stage. So basically books, printed books, but there were like a, a few. There weren't many. And, and in uni, university, what, uh, what career path did you do? So in uh, I uh, I took like a bachelor in science. The university was mathematics and informatics. In the first year, there were more mathematics than informatics, and then in the second and third year, it turned more into informatics, like special courses on uh, algorithms, databases, operating system, assembler, stuff like that. And after that, I went with the the masters because. Uh, in our culture, in the Eastern Europe, uh, the the parents always encourage you to, to study as much as you can, because this way you'll have better chances in life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just took the, the natural path. Yeah. But then yeah, I stopped. Hi- no PhD. Yeah. Oh. Your Hispanic parents are, are pretty similar. They, they yeah. want us to just go to school and just keep going. <laughs> and from the, from the master's, what a... How did you decide what field to go into, like in terms of uh, computer science and programming? Yeah, for the for the local university, because there were other universities, like in the capital in Bucharest, which was abroad. But uh, at that uh, time, my parents couldn't afford me to to send me there, so I took a, a local university, and there weren't many options there. You had only like computer uh, mathematics and informatics, uh, mathematics, from which you would become a professor. And like one or two more options, but more towards the the pedagogical side of uh, of career. Oh, and I, I 
I don't think we mentioned this, but you were in Romania the whole time, right? Yeah. That time, again, the, the software development, especially in my city, uh, which is not, uh, I mean, it's a big city, but the industry itself, it's not that uh, evolved, or at least it wasn't that evolved uh, back then. Uh, there weren't many jobs on site. Uh, so I, uh, I looked towards a freelancing career. At that time, you could find uh, websites like Rent-A-Coder and, I don't know, Freelancer.com. I think it's, it's the one that bought Rent-A-Coder afterwards and uh, websites like that. So I started uh, creating a profile there, bidding on projects. And this is how I, I gained my, my first projects. And something interesting that I see is the, um, like in the tech field that I've seen is there's a big, well, I wouldn't say big, but there's a, there's a good majority of, of Eastern European developers. Like compared to other other ethnicities, like Eastern Europeans, and they they are prominent in the tech industry. And, and is there any particular reason, or would you know, like the backstory behind that? Uh, I think. And what are my thoughts? It's like the the eastern part of Europe being until the nineties, being in a Soviet country, in the uh, yeah being a Soviet country. Back then, uh, there was a lot of uh, emphasis on, on learning mathematics. So uh, a lot of people... And in the school, the, the school uh, agenda and the professors of mathematics were very good. So uh, who wanted to, to learn mathematics, he could do it from, from the best. So having this mathematics background and understanding the and having... A, uh, algorithmic way of thinking and structuring things, then it made possible the the switch to to software development easier. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Because I I studied math in university too, and when I started programming, I felt like it helped a lot, like having that background. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I remember a professor from university. Uh, I asked him in the first year, like, okay, why are uh, we are are we doing so much mathematics when we should actually do informatics? And he said, wait for it, Catalin, wait for it one year, and then you'll uh, you'll understand. And now now I I understand. I mean, of course, I'm not using everything that I learned from mathematics, and I forgot a lot of things. But at least I have the the fundamentals to understand some of the some of the stuff like statistical part and so on. And how did you get into iOS and mobile development? Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting story because uh, at first so I started with this C, C++. I was doing uh, console programming. And then I said, okay, let's, let's go to the next level. Let's do some, uh, some actual uh, software that has an interface like you see on, on Windows. Uh, so I started looking into that. I started to Visual C++. Then I moved to, to Visual Basic when I saw how easy it's to go to create interfaces. And uh, during this time, the, the iPhone got uh, got released. So then I thought I uh, I just not the iPhone, but the the first smartphones. So you had those 
old smartphones with the snake and everything, the snake game. Yeah, like the <laughs> with, Nokia's. Uh, yeah, exactly. Nokia, Samsung, yeah, all of them. And I, I, I started to get interested, like, okay, how can I program this? How can I create something like this? Because for me, it was amazing from a, from a desktop screen to just create something that runs on that smaller screen. So I looked into into Java, into uh, J2ME, Java 2 Mobile Edition. Uh, and like one year afterwards, the or two years, uh, the, the iPhone got released. And I said, okay, <laughs> no more black and white or, or green screen. This one is colored, so it looks awesome. Let's try to see what's up with this. Because again, I was amazed, amazed about the, the power having a desktop in your pocket, which for me, it was like uh, awesome. So yeah, and then I switched to, to iOS. Dang. That's actually an interesting story as well. Switching. Yeah, how, how did you, how did that switch happen? Because you'd been working on Windows the whole time. And... Yeah, exactly. And I, I was a fan of Windows. So uh, before Mac, I couldn't even imagine that there was something better than Windows. And I was arguing with all my friends, like, Windows is the best, Windows is the best, and so on. Uh, so when the, the iPhone appeared, uh, I got a, a second-hand one from one of my friends after six months, eight months of uh, its uh, release. So, okay, I had a phone. I could play with it, I could install some apps, but how do you write a software for it? Again, there wasn't that much documentation, so I had to, to search a lot on the internet, and then I came up with a, a virtual machine. Basically on Windows, you had to, to run a virtual machine and on it to install the, the Macintosh OS. And that was an awful experience, because although I was, I was having like a, a pretty decent, uh, PC workstation, running that uh, virtual machine with Mac, it made uh, writing software like impossible because even the mouse, when I was scrolling it on the screen, it had like a little delay, like 0.5 seconds, something like that. And it was awful. And then uh, at that moment, I was working with, uh, with someone from, from US. I was doing uh, some other kind of, uh, of job with some of my friends. And uh, I asked him, okay, what do you think about uh, the iPhone? He said, well, it's great. Uh, I, I really want to develop an app for it. And I said, okay, well, let's say the price is 1,000 uh, euros, USD, whatever it was. This is the price of a Mac Mini. So you can get me the Mac Mini, ship it to me, or send me the money in advance, and then I can buy the Mac Mini, and I'll write the app for free for you. And that's how I started, and I got my, my hardware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a smart that's a smart way of getting the the hardware. Yeah, I, I didn't have the money. I mean, what I was doing as a freelancer back then, it was like pocket change. Me for me as a as a student, it was enough. I, enough, I could buy some little things and party a little, but it wasn't enough to to get a Mac Mini. And was was Xcode out at the time? Like, what did what was um? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Xcode oh, has been there forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was I Xcode were... and and uh, Objective C, Objective C and UI Kit. Yeah, I know people that uh, were actually uh, writing the code in Notepad 
and then compiling from the command line and running it from the command line directly on the uh, on the device through the virtual machine. Oh, to the oh, for the virtual machine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, you could do that. You can do that today as well. Yeah. Just running the terminal, everything. Yeah. What was the the app idea that they that you built for them? Yeah, it was a photography app. So it was a, a catalog of actual cameras and comparing the features between different uh, photo cameras because this this guy was very passionate into photography. How did he do? Did it, did that? Well, was it was the app just for him or was it like a app idea no, it was, to sell? It was released on the store. I don't think it was a price at that moment or maybe it had. I don't know exactly. I mean, he did some money, but not extraordinary. And after after a while, I think it was free. Ah, and then from there, you just you started building. All, um, did yeah, you exactly. like work on your own projects, or did you do more uh, like freelancing work for other people? I started doing my own projects because I had some ideas as well, like very small ideas, fun ideas. Uh, back then, the the store was not that. Uh, that full of apps, so you could easily create apps and everyone can, could find it. And in parallel, I just updated my, my profile on the freelancing websites and saying, okay, I'm doing iOS development and starting bidding on, uh, on iOS projects. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, how, did, how does that work, bidding on the iOS projects? Well, I mean, uh, are you familiar with, uh, with freelancing websites? Some of them like Upwork, but when you say bid, yeah, so exactly. like you exactly, exactly, yeah. You, you so say it's just your price or how does that yeah. work? Yeah, exactly. So the client has a budget, or not even a budget, maybe like a, a maximum budget. Like let's say we have five k, ten k, whatever, and then people start to bid on that. Say, okay, I can do it for two uh, k, I can do it for three k, I can oh. do it for nine, and so on. Yeah. And this still works today on Upwork, for example. Ah, they still have the bidding ranges. I did. I didn't know it worked like the bidding, the bidding uh, part of it. I didn't know it worked like that. Yeah, it's just like in the market when you when you scream the price and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in Romania, is what is like the so for like the the top engineers? What do they usually do? Do they Go work in Europe or the US? How does that work? Well, it depends. The The market, it, it's scattered. Uh, I've met a lot of great engineers working uh, for companies on site. Others prefer uh, contracting and freelancing if, uh, either on the European market or the US market. So, I don't know. It's 50-50, maybe 60-40 for the employed ones. Oh, so it, it, it kind of just depends on like their preference. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, on the preference, on scarcity, on the adversity to to risk, on the on the safety, <laughs> if they have family or not, because it, it's not easy to be to be a freelancer. You have to have a certain mindset and not get scared if for two weeks you don't get any offer or any project, or for one month or two months. You always need to to have a a backup for these cases. 
So when did you get like your? Because when you got that Mac, you were in college. You said right. Yeah. So um, when did you get like your official role as an iOS developer? You know, like not official role, but your like first full time job or contract, like a long contract. Um, I think like two or. F- Two years maybe afterwards, yeah. It was still from that plot platform where I uh, I I bid it for a financial app. The 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 guy that uh, was presenting the the project had the iPad uh, app and wanted to convert it into an iPhone app, but the design would would change. Uh, and that was very very interesting because uh, I remember back then I bid it. I said, okay, yeah, it can be done in two months or whatever, because he was aiming for three months. Uh, and then he called me, like had a, had a Skype call. He has shown me like the code. Here's the code. Here are the number of windows. There are 50 windows. So that's a lot. Are you sure you can do this? I said, sure. I can do it even shorter than that. <laughs> <laughs> but back then I was, uh, I was young and I was working maybe 12 hours per day. I didn't have anything else to do. So I could um, finish up a project, no matter how complex it was, uh, quite fast. So this is how I landed my my first role. Afterwards, the the client with whom I remain a very good friend until today as well. Uh, he's the guy I visited in uh, in California that I was mentioning you about earlier on. Um, he said, "Okay, let's let's cut the middleman." And let's uh, work together. I will uh, hire you full time, and let's develop uh, uh, more features for this uh, product. So that's how it started. And from there, it started with uh, more work. I had to to get a team, do the Android version as well, and then having a team, I started working on other projects as well. And how did you keep up with all like the new? API and changes that were happening. It was just through the projects, right, that you were doing, or were you learning as well on the side, or now or back then? Back then. Back then, I was. Uh, I don't know if at first the WWDC was there. I don't think so, or maybe I don't know about it. But back then, I was just reading some blog posts and uh, experimenting a lot. So. Each project, even though it had maybe, I don't know, 80%, 90% reassemblance with, regarding the features, uh, it always had like a tricky part that I needed to, to investigate and, and learn. So I learned a lot from experience back then. And afterwards, I moved more to, to blogs, maybe, maybe books and so on. But mostly, mostly blogs. All right. And now I kind of want to transition into talking about iOS development in general and like maybe some like career-ish questions. And the first one is what do you think separates like a junior developer from a senior developer? I think the the most important uh, skill that separates them is how they approach solving problems. So uh, the junior can somehow uh, sometimes be stubborn and try to try to fix something or find a solution to to something for for days and delay the project without admitting like hey i don't know i need some help 
while a, a senior will always like if something doesn't uh, doesn't get solved fast, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. That's the right word. Be ashamed of that and uh, reach out to to other fellow developers. That's how I see it. And of course, uh, asking the the right questions. Like the the junior may be more um, inclined to ask technical questions to persons that are not technical, and then he will end up with some bad requirements. While a senior will understand also the the business part, the end user interface, and ask uh, more advanced questions from which he can subtract the the right technical decisions. Yeah. And what would you recommend for for like improving that for like a, let's say a junior developer? How can they get better at those? From my experience, you just need to to experiment, to experiment with as much things as possible. If you're working in a in a company on a in a product company on a single project, you can uh, experiment uh, doing your uh, your hobby projects with other technologies and see how they interact. Or maybe you can do like a drill where uh, you are the the business owner and have some uh, uh, business idea and then somehow try to communicate it with the developer. I'm not aware of any any book, but probably there are some articles out there on this as well, maybe better drills. Yeah. (laughs) What would you say are the differences between like a lead and a senior? Uh, iOS dev. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, on on the career ladder. It's a natural step, but most of the, not most. Let's say from what I have seen, from my experience, uh, a lot of uh, senior iOS developers just want to to stay on the on the technical track, maybe turn into uh, staff engineer or going on the architect. Uh, side of the business, while uh, only some that enjoy uh, enjoy talking with people, helping them grow in their career, choose the the lead position because that's the, that's the difference. I mean, after you you reach the the maximum technical level that you can reach, what's up next? I mean, you can either go into architecture. You need to to go one la- layer above, see seeing the bigger picture. Or you can just try to to grow your team and create the most productive team. Which which do you prefer? Well, I'm um, I'm hands on. I prefer both. I mean, I like programming a lot. I like architecture, but I also like talking with with people and uh, helping them them grow as well. Because like the old men say. After you you reach a, a certain age, you just want to give back something. So that's that's why I started uh, writing on on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. I'm just trying to to give uh, something back from what I uh, have learned. And what advice do you typically give? Like, let's say somebody who's like very early in their career, what do you typically tell them? I just tell them to to practice a lot. That's it. I mean. You can read 100 books. If you don't practice any, that's equal to zero. And it yeah, happens to true. me also. I mean, 
I, I'm reading, for example, a book on architecture or refactoring. If I'm reading more than 10, 20 pages and I don't actually code something or try something out, maybe like, I don't know, map a diagram or something like that. I mean, actual uh, exercise, then it will just flow away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's very true. And I try to like make sure I have like a project or something if I'm learning something that I can apply it to. Yeah. Especially now with the Swift UI, you always need like, if you're reading two, two lines of, from one book, you just need to apply it instantly. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen any like major changes or trends in mobile development in like the past few years? Well, the, there is this fight with the cross platforms. I've uh, <laughs> I've tried them since the beginning. It was Titanium and then Xamarin in C Sharp, and then after playing with them, I just threw them away. And then I think we had uh, we have React, and then Flutter, the new the new cool kid. Uh, I've experienced with, with Flutter as well. And compared to, to other cross-platform uh, frameworks, uh, it's quite different. It's more close to the to the native side. It's quite powerful. Um, but at the moment, being at the at the beginning, it's quite hard to to put like a, a stamp on it and say, okay, this is the future. I mean, everybody is, is trying to do to do progress. Is trying to go towards. Uh, declarative uh, UI and declarative programming. Yeah. That's why Flutter, Swift UI, and then we have in, in Android the, how is it called? It's Compose, yeah, Jetpack, something. Yeah, Isn't Jetpack, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So everybody is working towards uh, this direction to, to simplify the, the development. Now, I don't know if there will be a winner in the end or not, but for now, there is uh, plenty of room for everyone. What, what would you say, like, if, let's say, a company comes to you and they're trying to figure out, should they do cross-development or do native on both sides or maybe just native and focus on one first? Uh, um, here, it, it's more not about the technical part, but more about the, the business part. I mean, how many resources do you have? Are you planning to have two different teams? Can you afford that? Me personally, if I were to do a startup, like a small startup, I would go with Flutter 100% because it's easier for me if I'm alone. If there is a, a bigger team, and again, you have resources to, to hire on, on both ends, on uh, iOS and Android, and especially if you're trying to do something special, so to speak. So are you using some kind of special sensors, animations? Do you really need the, the native speed, the native feel? Or are you doing some, so to speak, boring app that in fact uh, serves a business need? So depending on this. Yeah. And... It would depend too on what market they're they're targeting, right? Like if they're making the app for like U.S. customers or let's say like Romania or Eastern Europe customers, right? Yeah, yeah. 
that will and, uh, that will be a point as well. Yeah. And for like for example, in Romania, I think does Android dominate the market? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, and I don't think necessarily only in in Romania, but uh, yeah, in most in, of the world, right? In most of the world, in, in Europe as well, uh, the iPhone doesn't have that dominance that has in the US. I mean, from from what I have observed, I don't have like any any data, but from what I have talked with friends from other countries as well. I mean, now uh, all the Android phones and uh, companies have high-end products as well with uh, very powerful hardware. It's not and it'll, it will never be as good as the iPhone, <laughs> but they, they are still doing the, the job. Yeah, so, so the iPhone isn't looked at as a, as a quote-unquote luxury um, device for people to have over there, or, or is that how it's looked? Uh, at first, a few years ago, yes. But nowadays, I mean, look at the, I don't know, Samsung S2021. I don't know. I, I lost count of the models. But if you look, they have similar prices. And maybe sometimes the, the camera is a bit better. Yeah. So you can see a lot of people having that high-end Android phone, but not the, the iPhone. Yeah, and especially with like, I think they they have the iPhone SE now, right? And then, yeah. So like the the cost to en- enter is a lot lower. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there is also the the aspect of uh, of the price of the apps. So iPhone was was known for a, for a lot of time, like uh, having its own store with everything having a price. While on the Android, most of the things were free. But yeah. now there is this shift because uh, companies want to make money from the from the Google Play as well, which is which is normal to monetize on that. So we'll see. At some stage, probably it's natural to shift to the same direction. But now they just caught up one or the other the other. Have you seen a shift from people going to like? Paid apps to now like subscription, right? There's, I feel like there's a lot of subscription apps out there now. Yeah, I mean this is a, this is a trend for I don't know maybe the past ten years. There were talks like ten years ago or eight years, something like that, like switching to this to this business model, uh, freemium model. Give the user something for for free just to to get a taste of the app and see that it actually functions, and then uh, if they want, they can. Uh, get more more features for for a certain price plus it's it's better for the business to have like a monthly recurring income rather than a one time base mm-hmm. i mean look yeah. at look at look at photoshop i mean you could get photoshop for i don't know 400 dollars 500 i don't know and then you you got it like one time and that was it you had like uh, updates for the next 10 years uh, while now you have the, the subscription-based model as well, and you have to pay $100 per year. Yeah. And in the end, it will generate more money. After two years or three years, it will generate more money than a higher uh, fixed price at the beginning. Yeah. And it'll be worth more, like, people would be willing to pay. Like, business owners would be willing to buy, like, 
the business if it has um, yeah. the reoccurring revenue. Exactly. Now switching back to more like iOS stuff, where do you stand on like the Swift UI versus UI kit front right now? <laughs> uh, like I said, everybody is uh, it's gearing towards the the declarative design, and they are they are taking active steps into this. Um, Swift UI is still at the beginning, although it has I don't know three, four, five years. I'm not sure when it was. Four years, maybe. Uh, from what I can see, Apple is uh, actively investing into developing SwiftUI, which is great because they need to to keep up with the competition. Um, a lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Do Do you think it's a uh, production ready SwiftUI? Or uh, the short answer would be yes. The longer answer would be it depends. And I will <laughs> tell you what I want to say about it, what I want to say with this. Um, depending on your, uh, on your app needs and uh, the scenario that you're trying to, to solve, you, you, you need, you could need like more features or less features of, uh, of Swift UI. So depending on that, you can use like a simplified version and not go for the for the wild. Uh, while with the UI kit, I mean, this paradigm will shift. Um, it's hard at the beginning because once you get accustomed with uh, with a certain uh, framework, uh, it's hard to switch to something new. Um, UI kit at first it was not perfect. And of course, people complained about it. I mean, even today they complain about some bugs and that's it. But it offers you the imperative power to do whatever you want so you can access anything from everywhere. While we yeah. switch to I, this, uh, this uh, paradigm shifted. So now you just need to, to think about it like differently. It's not that it's not possible, but you just need to, to think about it differently. Yeah, that was one of the biggest things when I... Because earlier this year, I started doing more Swift UI. And yeah, it's like coming from UI, you have a lot of control and a lot of things you can do. And Swift UI, it's not that you can't do it. It's just it's, things are done differently. So you have to change yeah. the way you think. I mean, the the key is not to fight the system. Yeah. Not to try to, to find workarounds. <laughs> I mean, don't find workarounds. Just... Uh, uh, understand the system and make it your best friend. Yeah. And that's it. And do you have any recommendations for like the best architecture to use for SwiftUI? Uh, this is again a hot topic. So yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think in general, not just SwiftUI, <laughs> but no matter what you're building, right? The... That lights up the community. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not a a believer that there is a perfect architecture for anything. It depends, again, on your team, on your skills, on what you want to adopt. Do you want to rely on third-party libraries? Do you want to, to write, uh, I don't know, bindings, whatever, by yourself, and so on? Uh, I see there is a, a lot, uh, some discussion on, uh, on the MV architecture, model view, and the MVVM, like people are asking, do we still need MVVM on SwiftUI? Because you can already put all that logic there. 
But if, if we are thinking about uh, UIKIP and the MVC, I think it's a similar thing. In MVC, you had the power to put everything in the view controller, and then everybody said, okay, it's it's too much, let's split it. I think it's similar in, uh, in Swift UI uh, as well. I mean, if you want testability, it's better to, and that's my, my personal thought. I like to, to make the views as dumb as possible. So just consume some data, display it, move the logic in some like uh, lower layer, MVVM, let's say. And then I can test in isolation the view model, for example. You could argue that you can uh, test in isolation the, the Swift UI uh, view as well. But then this will mean instantiating your, uh, your Swift UI view and also from the from the events that get fired, some weird things can can happen in the UI as well, or trigger something else. So oh, and- I would I would go with MVVM, but that's me personally. I mean, for a very small and uh, simple app, if I don't want to be consistent with the rest of the system, I can leave everything in the in the in the view, and that's it. Yeah, and I, th- I think you like you said. You could do some testing if you had it all in the view, but it would make your test a little bit slower, right? Because um, you're instantiating the view? Probably. I haven't tested that. Yeah. I haven't uh, tested putting the actual uh, workload in, inside the view. Mm. I just did it like in the in the view model and then tested the view model. But probably, yes. I don't know. I can run some tests and, and see. Yeah. I mean, and even Apple, they, like in their projects that they release, they they go back and forth between MV and MVVM, I believe. Yeah. Again, I, I, I read the, the discussion on Apple forums, and it's a hot discussion. You don't want to go in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I see it a bit as a MVC. I mean, yeah. MVC was powerful enough to do some some simple stuff. Or maybe if you could put like the controller outside of the view controller, like a second controller, like the, the view model, then you could split some of the responsibility. Maybe things are just like mis- got misunderstood somewhere on the way. But as long as you can, uh, can, you, you can separate your, your business logic from the, from the view, from the actual displaying, then that yeah. should be good enough to to test it and control it better. And in UIKit, what did you like to use, by the way? Um, I went with uh, MVVM and also MVP. I used a lot MVP as well. I'm guessing the resources you used to learn that was just like your your experience, like working on actual projects, right? Yeah, exactly. I think. MVP was more suited on uh, on Android development, and somehow I, I I took it from there as well, and then it fitted well with the with the rest of the app. I didn't have to to use some third party like Eric Swift or uh, something similar. Although you can do MVVM without Eric Swift, you can do it with closures, and that's it. But um, that was what I was using back then, and then I switched to MVVM because I saw that was the trend. I said, "Okay, let's let's try this out." Yeah. 
Wait, how do you feel about the the singleton design pattern, by the way? Because oh, I think like gosh. that's another hot topic, right? Oh my god, <laughs> I, I I just I just posted about that like uh, three or four days ago, like the drawbacks. So uh, from my experience, um, singleton is seen as an anti pattern. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's not a good uh, pattern. But most of the use, most of the people don't use it properly, and that's why you have tight coupling, you have trade safety, you have low testability. I mean, you can overcome all this. Tread safety, sure. You can put some uh, uh, dispatches, some barriers, some whatever you want there, and then you can make it tread safe. Uh, for testability, sure, you can subclass it and make the the initializer uh, public and not private, and then you can test it. For tight coupling, uh, instead of calling it directly, you can just uh, inject it wherever you want to use it. So you can overcome all this. But people, uh, um, if they use it like by the book implementation and just call it from whatever in the code and don't have a thread safe and so on, there will be a lot of drawbacks. So that's why instead of thinking about all these drawbacks, better not use it if you don't if you really not need, uh, don't need it that's what i think and what alternatives would you suggest and would i guess it would depend on the use case right like how it's being used yeah exactly i mean keep the dependency injection inject whatever uh, collaborator you want if you don't need a single instance across your whole app like a database manager or a logger i mean database manager okay because you only need the one opening of your database but a logger for example you can have multiple instances you don't need necessarily a single tone for that so depending on case-to-case basis you can go with other uh, alternatives yeah because i i use it sometimes and Especially my indie projects, because I I try to like, I wanted to, I kind of want to move quickly, and I don't want to overcomplicate yeah. things. I get you. I, I I used it a lot in the early times. I used it a lot. First, I'd say you're really active on social media, right? Like, um, with the iOS content you put out. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to. Yeah, like you're you're a really good resource actually to like follow, whether it's like on LinkedIn or even on Twitter or X now. I wanna ask what what got you started? Yeah, so uh I was thinking, okay, what can I do more? I saw all these people like writing content. Uh I've been following some of the the people from the iOS community for a while. And I said, okay. Let me try this out. I mean, of course, people will uh, will laugh, will mock me, will insult me because that's normal when you put yourself out there. But I said, okay, let me try to do this for one year. Like, write every single day. A big thing, a smaller thing. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm off and I'm writing some uh, idiotic things that <laughs> I, I think. Sometimes I write better content, but... That's life. I just want to to show up there for one year, try to to write each day and see what uh, what happens. 
I mean, will I meet new people? Will I create new connections? Will I get new contracts? I don't know. I just want to try it out. Yeah, that's really cool. Like your your output is insane. Like especially the quality and like the like the the nuggets of information you put out. Yeah, I, I'm trying to post about some higher level iOS topics, not about specifics, because for specifics you have some content creators that are doing like specific things, like how does uh, a sync works in iOS, yeah, or yeah. Swift data or whatever but at the end of the day if you if you look at it this uh these technical specificalities they they evolve and get obsolete while knowing some principles and changing your uh, your mindset and way of approaching problems i find it uh, more powerful but this doesn't mean of course that you shouldn't read that that content as well because it's it's important i consume a lot of content even though maybe I don't uh, like or comment on each post, I consume a lot of, uh, of uh, content and trying to learn new things uh, every day. Or at least if I don't uh, learn it or read the whole article, I just I just know like, okay, let's bookmark this. I know that when I will have problem with uh, Swift data, I have this article and I know I can find the answer here. Yeah. And how do you... Um... How do you decide what is worthy of being tweeted or not? Do you have like a a system that you use or what do you how do you go about that? Not necessarily. I mean, I'm trying to to put as much quality content as possible. Like I said, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. But um, even if you don't though, it's really good cuz you learn something from it, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, some of my worst posts, when everybody <laughs> everybody was like in a in a total war with me, I learned a lot from the, from those posts because they post this link like, okay, you're totally off. Here's the link. You don't know absolutely anything. I said, okay, okay, yeah, let me read this, let me read this, and so on. And I learned a lot as well. So I'm learning a lot from the from the community as well, which is great. But for this, you need a, a tough skin. Yeah, I think it's a it's good thing. Easy. Like, like if as long as you're not like being mean, right? But if you come like, oh, I think this is wrong, and like you actually show or tell like why you give like solid and good reasons, I think it's really helpful for both and yeah, for the community. Exactly, exactly. If you're respectful and you have a constructive feedback, sure, just uh, bring it on. I I would love to to see that. If you're unpolite. Probably I will block you or not answer to you. It doesn't matter because I don't want to to fill myself with negative energy. There are people out there that are doing this. Yeah, yeah. they they take pride in uh, in finding someone that uh, mistakes something and then then they throw all this uh, on them. Just looking yeah. for the the negative or like the bad. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, if you're writing a post, it happened to me like multiple times. I write in something that's like 90% accurate and then I just add like a bullet point of an idea and that's a bit off. And everybody starts thinking about that. Like, okay, here you're wrong, here you're wrong, here you're wrong. But not saying anything about the rest of the content. And that's fine. I mean, that, that's writing on, on social networks. <laughs> they want you to be perfect. <laughs> they want you to be... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I don't. I will learn from my mistakes and I will yeah. try to be perfect one day. <laughs>
And uh, you mentioned something just now about like the foundation and the fundamentals. And so what would you think are, what would you say are the, like the foundations and fundamentals for any developer? So they first need to understand computer programming, all that stuff with variables, uh, repetitive uh, structures and so on. Then go into design patterns, understand the design patterns. Uh, then, depending on the language, learn the specificalities of that language, and then just try it out, and that's it. I mean, I, I actually have an, uh, an infographic on this posted on my, uh, on my profile on LinkedIn, on the feature profile, which is absolutely free. And I, I'm, uh, I, I, I wrote there like 10, 10 steps, 10 steps to create maintainable, maintainable iOS apps. And this applies to, to career ladder as well, because mastering some of those skills there can get you in a, in a senior or staff engineer position as well. Yeah. The, the link, I'll put the link to that in the description and where can the people find you and follow you to get uh, more iOS and developer knowledge? Yeah, so at the moment I'm uh, I'm active only on on social networks. I don't have my newsletter or uh, I mean I have a website. It's katalinpatrashko.com. Say my name, uh, and from there you are redirected either to Gumroad to get this infographic or to my LinkedIn uh, or Twitter or X profile. So basically, I'm there. Thank you for tuning to another episode of the I Was Dead podcast. If you enjoyed the show. Make sure you guys like, comment, share, subscribe, and consider sending this to a fellow developer. If you want to support the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and even consider joining the Patreon.